Welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your hosts, Greg Larkin, Mike Turner, and Jessica Harris. Enjoy this episode, and we'll hope to see you on the trails soon. Welcome, everybody. It's another episode of the Mile 99 interview series, and we're really excited because it's our 20th episode, and it's kind of hard to believe, I think. Uh, what would you say? <laughs> Jessica, Mike, uh, my co-hosts, uh, we've been doing this, um, yeah, since May. What do you think of that? We've had a lot of good content and amazing guests. I, I feel really lucky that we are surrounded by so many amazing people. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we started this whole thing up in May. Um, you know, Mike's been with me. Uh, Mike Turner here, my co-host, has been with me from the start. It was really his idea to kind of turn this whole thing into an interview. Uh, we've brought Jessica Harris in. Um, I think I'm trying to remember exactly. Do you remember when, what episode you came in on? Five. Okay. All right. So yeah, you've been around for a while and I think we've, uh, we've got a good little thing going here. So uh, just, yeah, welcome everybody. And uh, yeah, kicking things off here tonight. Um, yeah, Mike, why don't you just give a, a little update on uh, the whole idea behind this? Yeah. So like Greg was saying, we started this, you know, back in May when the, the lockdowns were happening is kind of a way to keep our community connected, keep our, our running friends together and kind of share inspiration. So we started talking to all of the amazing ultra runners that we know around here that we just have always admired. And we, you know, started to do interviews with them just to get to know their background and share their story and inspiration. And uh, it, it definitely has been exciting. And, uh, and like tonight, uh, like we said, we're streaming live on Facebook at the Auburn aid station. Also our page uh, and Jessica is she's, you know, watching the chat rooms. We have a chat room on Zoom. We have a chat room on, on Facebook. She's kind of gathering questions and comments. You can message her if you have a question. She'll keep track of those to the end. Uh, and uh, like I said, uh, some of our friends, we want to always mention the people that, that we like, the A-Station in Auburn. Uh, it's a great, some great people. They have a, a website, auburnaidstation.com, and they have an online store. You can go check them out and order stuff you need and also, other friends of ours, as Greg and I love a lot, is Monsters of Massage in Newcastle. They, uh, they're open right now. Uh, they have a special permit to allow them to continue to work. And so if you have knots, you know, backaches, plantar fasciitis, they can fix it. These are great people. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm still working on that plantar fasciitis, uh, but boy, I'll tell you when I go in there, <laughs> it's some kind of painful, but the, the goal is to squeeze it out. And I'm sure at some point uh, they're going to do that and uh, I'll be back in shape here. So tonight, our 20th episode, as I said, uh, really excited. Um, we have a longtime runner and uh, a recent finisher also of the Moab 240 race. His name is Brian Paisley. And he's relatively new to uh, ultra running and racing. Um, he started racing about four years ago, um, but he has been a runner like for most of his life. And uh, we'll sort of talk about his origins as we often do and, and sort of then getting into those, uh, those race experiences. But he's also been using running um, as a, a really good way to find you know, peace and satisfaction in his life. Uh, I think a lot of us do that. Uh, it's just a great way to get out on the trails and clear your head, find some peace, 
you know, go to a new place that you've never been before, do some exploring. And, you know, we want to learn how he has kind of applied that to his life. And, you know, we, we all need help from time to time. Um, and I think he's going to be really good about giving us some insights and how he's used running to improve his life. Um, and, you know, we, we're really looking forward to that story and, and more. Uh, so let's bring him in right now and uh, find out uh, some more about what makes him tick. Hey, I'm here. There he is. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the lead in too. That was very nice. Yeah. I hope that, uh, you know, ex explained and, and kind of set up, set up the stage uh, well for us tonight. Very good. So I guess, you know, the things that we like to kind of start off with a lot of times with our guests is just sort of, you know, where did you, where did you start out? Um, and I know from our, our conversations before the interview, uh, you grew up along the coast of California and can you kind of just tell us where that was and, you know, what it was like for you as a kid and, and maybe sort of, you know, I know you started running early in life and, and sort of how do you, how you discovered all that up there? Yeah. Um, it was uh, a good childhood. I mean, there was definitely the usual stuff that all kids have, but I was raised in Marin, so it was pretty nice to be able to access the mountains. So um, definitely middle-class kid. And then of course, Marin became super expensive, but whatever. We um, we used to run in the, in the hills a lot, just as kids. Uh, I did cross country um, and I've never really known much about ultra until very recently. So. For me, I, getting started was all about, you know, running with my friends in the woods. And one little uh, cool little side story is we'd also um, push our little BMX bikes to the top of Mount Tam and ride them down. This is pre-mountain bike. And then some hippies started coming up and they were pushing their um, beach cruisers up. Right. All one year, right? And so I guess, you know, it's like, chocolate and peanut butter or something like that but mountain bikes were eventually born i don't know there or wherever but absolutely we no, spent so a lot of time in the woods just cruising around so we would run we would uh some days just run the whole time sometimes we would bike and run so just kids yeah now mike you were a bmx rider back in the day is that right oh yeah yeah i grew up in texas and i just man bmx downhill um, I lived on a bike as a kid. <laughs> and now, so I was a bike racer way back in the day <clears throat> and I started road racing first, but I think it was in the mid to late eighties that I started. And this was back in new England. I'm in New Hampshire. And I started hearing these, these stories about these guys on Mount Tam, same thing. And that's really where the, the kind of like, you know, myth, and that's not a myth. I mean, it happened like that was the invention of the bike of the mountain bike because these these guys would take this bike up to the, their bikes up to the top of Mount Tam and ride. And I, I think what they called it back then was repack road or something like that. That's what yeah, that's yeah, what totally. it was called because I don't know if that was the official name, but that was kind of the name they made up because they would use their coaster brakes so hard they had to repack their. <laughs> their hub like at the bottom every time because it was like boiling hot or something so i don't know if you ever heard that before <laughs> yeah it is weird though to be at that time yeah at, well, before it came but kind of see the 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 um the pre pre-model <laughs> yeah yeah that's such a cool story yep. yeah um i have such distinct memories of that back in the day of being a bike racer so <laughs> yeah. so i mean it sounds like it was a lot of just kind of yeah, kids, kids just going out and exploring. And I mean, you don't even realize like I'm trail running, you're just 
being out as a kid in the woods and just enjoying yourself? Yeah, I mean, we knew a little bit because we were cross-country runners, but Mm. we didn't really care whether we were running, hiking, biking, or whatever. We were just kids that really liked to get at it, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We were kind of, you know, the the pre-REI generation, but, you know, if we had known about rock climbing we would have gone and climbed those few rocks on mount tam you know too. <laughs> so yeah it's the pre-rei generation but we did what we did yeah so you were almost like uh, budding adventure racers it sounds like with multiple exactly. sports and <laughs> whatever else I, don't know I am now really <laughs> yeah that's that's great yeah i mean that's that's kind of the best way i think to, to get into it maybe is just yeah it's it's very pure um there's really nothing around you that you know influences you you just kind of discover this thing and and you sort of just go out and start moving your body there and and that and that just leads to it so i I love that that kind of that kind of origin story i guess Mm -hmm. uh so what you know you ran cross country were you involved in other sports too as a kid i was uh i was a a really i love to say this i was a really good soccer player Uh (laughs) i was really seriously no i was i was a pretty um serious soccer player and then i i got a really bad injury and took me out and kind of that was the beginning of the end of my athletics career and it's kind of where running got put on the on the back burner and um you know drugs and alcohol became a lot more exciting so i was starting to explore maybe more the recesses of my mind and less of the coast you know Mm. so uh there was definitely a starting to wean away from uh, athletics in high school and mean and mainly you know just because of the injury really and and not yeah i just it was that it was the culture i guess of it i wasn't really there wasn't really um, that kind of culture where I ended up, you know, there weren't really teams. And so we, uh, what happened was, um, my sophomore year of high school, I ended up not really even going to school. (laughs) So then I went, um, I heard about this very cool school up near, well, up near Auburn. It's in outside Nevada city called John Woolman. And it was a uh, Quaker school. And I'd heard about it. It's just all these hippies up there. I was like, ooh, that sounds good. So I went up there and really kind of turned around the academic career, though I was still pretty hardcore into drugs at that time. I was uh, becoming pretty good academically. How's that? So it was a different life. I was becoming more of a bookworm, more into getting high and reading books and talking ideas than going and running mountains Mm. at that point. Okay. And I'm sorry, what, around what age was that again? Oh, that was uh, 16. Oh, okay. All right. 16, 17. Really, that was kind of the beginning until I got married, probably around 30, did I really start exercising all the time. In graduate school, I played a lot of basketball, I pick up games. Oh, and another fun fact, I went to University of Chicago for grad school and Barack Obama was there and somebody and I could swear because he played pickup in the gym. I could swear I played with him once. Those All people, right. <laughs> I swear. Yeah. I mean, who knows? But it's very possible because we were there at the same time. He played pickup and there's one gym. So, I mean, there's got to be a photo somewhere on somebody's exactly. camera somewhere, right? So, yeah, during that time, yeah, I mean, I always stayed, um, you know, healthy for the most part. Even when I'd go off on like hard drugs, I'd seem to kind of make this comeback and uh, and then get back into sports a little bit. 
Um, but that I just kept going out and away on uh, drugs and alcohol to a point where I couldn't really make it back. You know, mm -hmm. I used to be able to skate through things, you know, mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, really, really go out and then come down nicely. But this time it was, I was gone. So mm -hmm. that's that a great, was, uh, that was 37, 35 years old. It's a great story how you can uh, still, you know, go through that phase of your life and still realize that education, the value of education, maybe you didn't incorporate the value of, you know, exercise and sports, but you did focus on education. You went to grad school. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really, you, you, you know, you allow yourself to be a little more free, but also you hit the important parts in life, you know, and at least other important parts of life, which is great to hear, you know. Yeah, and it's um, it's a good thing I'm married too because I wouldn't even probably be like somewhat clean and somewhat dressed right now. So <laughs> just so you know, I'm kind of a I'm a little bit of a um, wild wild one. If you will. <laughs> well, I take a little bit of domestication. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, you know, you and you've got a lot of interests. I mean, you're you know, you obviously are a runner. We're going to dive in a lot more into that too. But you're also a musician. Uh, from from my understanding. And, uh, you know, so when did that all start? Like, and I guess the other thing I'm interested in too, is sort of with the, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, like what were there people like in your life sort of drawing you into that or, or, you know, what was the process, I guess? Oh yeah. yeah that's a really good question. Cause when you talk about like people bringing you into it, I think when I was very young, of course, there's the exposure from an older brother or a neighbor there's that kind of thing, but um, I was self-medicating, so people didn't really, I mean, even using drugs with people wasn't all that. Like my doctor had asked when I got sober, he said, um, so did you like share needles with anybody? I was like, I wouldn't ever share my drugs with anybody. <laughs> so yeah, I was really just, I was taking care of myself a lot of the time. So throughout most of my life, I always had higher companions, not lower companions. So I always had people, and I like to surround myself with people who are smarter than me. Um, like my coach is Avery Collins. He's always going to be more badass than me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, just, I like to surround myself with people who lift me up. And I think that's one of the ways I was able to stay above board. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I can only imagine, I haven't been in that kind of environment, but I can imagine when you've got the people kind of weighing you down and pulling you down, then that just makes it so difficult to stay afloat. So yeah. yeah I was lucky that way. Good yeah. friends, good family. Um, uh, you know, my wife's been in Al-Anon now for years. She's like black belt. So um, mm. yeah, she don't put up with shit. So right. Right. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk to you about right now, <laughs> like, um, but one of them, I guess, just since we're on this topic is, um, you know, in your life, maybe, and in your kind of circles and just in general, um, I got to imagine there's a lot of self-medicating going on in this current time that we're in. And, you know, what have you been seeing? Have that, has that been like with people that, you know, you don't have to delve into anything too, too sensitive, but just like, have you had to kind of put out extra energy around you and your environment to help people not go down that path, especially since March? Well, definitely. And I think it's particularly hard for people who can't 
keep working. I mean, um, I always was thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe if my kids were young and all that. And then I think, well, what about the people who can't even work from home because they don't even have jobs? So what is your mind being consumed with? And I think that's constantly what I'm asking myself on a daily basis. Why are you thinking that? You know, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of cognitive reset. Um, and I think for us, it's just so important, especially people who have maybe, I'm thinking people who have, you know, problems like I have, I'm bipolar, um, but this, that it's probably really tough without something to focus on. How's that? Yeah. If you aren't, if you don't have a goal and something that where you can take little bits towards that goal every day, um, for me, for somebody who has mental issues, it's really tough not to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also, you know, like most of us, overstimulated. Um, very hard for me to find flow. We all call ourselves ADD these days. I think it's just a product of our environment. So for us, and then those who have mental issues or are feeling really depressed, we really need to, you know, focus on something for a long period of time. So that's why I find the running so essential to my mental health and on a bigger level, my spiritual health kind of getting outside of myself too, even though it's a very self-indulgent sport. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is amazing, you know, when you, when we do think about like how self-centered it is as a sport in some ways. And, you know, I mean, it depends on the situation. I mean, anybody, you know, not anybody, but a lot of us can go out and just run and just be by ourselves. And, and, but like when you get into those situations where you're in a big race and everybody's focused on you, your crew, your pacers, like it's, it's almost too much sometimes. Cause it's, it's like you owe them things, you know, <laughs> and it's very self-indulgent. Yeah. The races can be like that. Definitely. Uh, Michael here helping me in Moab, my crew captain right there. Uh, yeah. It's like, you just, you're like, wait a sec, everybody don't, don't think about me. And I think, Actually, Christy's listening in, Hardy. She was on my crew last year. She's like, you're being more concerned about us than you are about yourself because it is kind of weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a people pleaser. I'll I'll freely admit it. Um, And it's very hard for me in a race situation. And I think people, some of the people on this call can uh, attest to this, that I'm like so focused on, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And it's it's, bored, cold. Yeah, it's hard to reverse that sometimes. Um, before we get too far ahead, though, uh, if you don't mind, and this is up to you, like, I don't know how many people are familiar with bipolar. I mean, I think a lot of people are familiar with depression, anxiety, as just sort of things you hear about in society. You don't hear as much about bipolar. I don't, at least I don't personally. And I was just wondering if you could just describe what that condition is like and, and what the you know management of it involves. Right. It, it's a, it's a toughie because like any mental illness, it's not really, it's kind of how we define it. You know, it's, we've created so much mental illness just by creating labels, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, these days, if you can't handle this ADD world, you're on the margins. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty crazy hard world to deal with. Well, for me, it's it, what my particular thing is um, hypomania. So I tend towards getting really, really manic. And then I become very uh, disorganized in my thoughts. 
And uh, then that's followed by usually just a two week depression or a one week. So it's like one week of mania followed by two weeks of depression. And then the cycle starts again. It's like constant. And you just live for the mania when you're untreated. You just live for those times and you just deal with the times when you're depressed. And really self-medicating is the best thing I could do at that point. You know, that's all I knew is I'd always use drugs and they seemed to work. And they did work for a long time until they didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but uh, it's a, a mood. It's a mood issue is what it is. So really bipolar is generally extreme moods. I'm bipolar two. Bipolar one is uh, much more difficult to manage, can be a little bit like schizophrenia mm. in terms of the disassociation. Okay. Are there medical therapies for it? I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky. I was, um, once I got sober, kind of needing to check to see, well, what, you know, what are some of the deeper issues? Why do people self-medicate, you know, trauma, this and that. And then there's also mental illness. So, um, so I mean, I was really lucky because there is a drug called Lamictal and they put me on that and it just helped so much. Um, but the one thing my uh, psychiatrist says, he said, you know, you, uh, he said, just because you're feeling better doesn't mean you can't go to like recovery meetings and stuff mm. because it does make you feel that much better. It allows you a little bit when it all, when everything slows down a little bit, um, you know, you're able to make sense of things. Things things are as they seem, Um, you know, I'm not making stuff up anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we talk about like honesty and and, uh, drug and alcohol recovery, they don't mean cash register honesty. They sometimes mean you're just making shit up. You know, you're, you're your own worst enemy, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can't, I can't, yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. What, the what the therapies be. now are amazing, particularly for somebody of my level. So. Okay. Well, that's, that's really good news. Do. Yeah. I live a, like, I don't think about it that much. That's great to hear. Yeah. So does, I mean, once you got, you know, into running or say four years ago or so, I mean, was it managed at that time? And then you kind of just decided like you wanted to go back and try challenging yourself in a physical way. And then by doing that, are you noticing it being even easier to manage in some ways or being able to change the way you had been treating it prior? Exactly. I mean, when I went, it, I was five years on the medication before I got back into running. Um, and so I was already on it and it was already working. But once I started running, I was talking to my doctor. I said, well, should I come off of this? And he said, well, you know, with your history, probably not. <laughs> but I'm really glad. And, and yeah, you probably are okay, but I'm not going to risk it myself. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it, it, anybody who's taking any antidepressants, any bipolar medication, any kind of exercise is going to make it so much more effective. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know what it is, why it does that, but it's probably something about the serotonin reuptake and, and the blocking of it. And something I think that's just healthy about the exercise is it keeps those things flowing. So you have more probably normal brain function. Mm-hmm. But to me, I think the biggest therapy is once again, the focus. 
it's the flow and the focus. Yeah. I mean, do you um, practice any mindfulness exercises, meditation, present moment awareness or anything like that? Or does that just kind of come naturally as you're out there? <laughs> I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty, I've ever since I was a kid, I meditated. I think now I meditate five times a week. I miss nice. at least two, but just 15 minutes. Sometimes I fall asleep. So in the middle, yeah, good. It's always a good sign. I mean, when I was a kid, I'd, Always, uh, when I would go to the Green Gulch, the Zen Center, and do a sitting, the um, like the Roshis would all be like snoring, you know. <laughs> and I'd be sitting there so uncomfortable trying to sit, and there, and so you know, sleeping during meditation is okay. Yeah, I mean, you've you've hit a new level when you when you're exactly. achieving that, right? <laughs> Um, I'm curious, do you use any uh, apps or anything, or are you just kind of sitting with yourself and that's it? Oh, you mean when I, oh, no, meditation, just myself. Yeah. Okay. I don't use any um, music or anything like that. I I have off and on over the years, but the apps are great. If you want to get into it, I know friends who got really addicted to meditation via the apps. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've used a headspace uh, app for anybody that's out there listening. And also another one that my company had sort of started promoting uh, during the pandemic was one called calm. And uh, apparently those are, are quite good. And I will also say like uh, it's, it's been refreshing uh, my company just this, just today, an hour and a half before we started, they had a Wednesday uh, online meditation session. So I decided, you know, it's probably a good idea before we start tonight. Why don't I just sit for half an hour, guided meditation, you come out of it, you feel different, you just feel better. That's great. That's really good. It's, it is, it's, it's like running, but it's even harder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they talk about all the monkey mind and the thoughts coming in and and all of that, but it sounds like you've been doing it long enough. I mean, what's. what's I allow it. I just allow it. Most of half my wake, you know, half my meditation is just thoughts, just stuff, Mm -hmm. just, you know, some worry, some this and that. And I just watch it. You know, it's like, I think that's what I mean by the spirituality that we gain is that objectivity of oneself. So that ability to just kind of watch yourself and have compassion for yourself as this biological being just struggling to get by, you know, you got to cut yourself slack. So the whole thing is to be able to watch yourself because then I think from them comes the transcendence really. Once we kind of get over ourselves, then we become more part of others and, the whatever universal stuff. Right. Now, can you take that and apply it to something like your recent race, like Moab 240, where you're out there and you're kind of like, I'm imagining and because I haven't done one that long yet, but I'm imagining it like it strips you down mentally, physically, emotionally, and all those ways and kind of you know, we talked to Bruce a couple of weeks ago, was it? Or last week? I can't, we, we're, we're on such a schedule now, but yeah. And, 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 and he really talked about how it just the Zen that he achieves and the flow out there. And I'm imagining with the way that, you know, you use meditation, transferring that into that kind of like compressed time frame of three, four days where it's just you and, and yourself. Uh, and what does that feel like? And how do you apply that? I mean, I, I absolutely love that time. I mean, I love, I mean, that course required me to have a lot of pacers because I needed all of them, but I love those long stretches. 
uh, completely alone too, because it gives you that point where a lot of the good stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is um, when you're alone with your pain, um, there's a way to work through it that you know. And sometimes you can talk to somebody else and that'll just, you know, help you a little bit. You know, a lot of people, they can talk and not feel their pain. That doesn't help me. Like, I like being in that pain cage sometimes. I like that. uh. So, yeah, and the meditative part is coming. Don't worry. But Mm -hmm. that point of just being ripped and just... Oh, just just allowing yourself to get ripped open by the desert and put back into a package and just sent over the finish line. That's kind of how it feels. So there is that transcendence that comes from the pain, um, whatever kind of pain it is. Um, I mean, there's anything you can think of. The bottoms of your feet after all that slick rock. Yeah, there's so much slick rock. Yeah, those feet do. I, I've never had a swollen feet. I got swollen feet there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the the pain allows you to transcend and allows you to feel, in a sense, propelled by the universe at this point, propelled by another, like your spirit is joined with some other like stuff and it's just going through you. And that's the only thing keeping you alive is the fact that you surrendered but you took it on too Mm. yep yeah you just basically lay yourself open to you know whatever happens it sounds like and just accept it and and push through it i I mean surrender is a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. it usually means going to the winning side so once i stop fighting it i'm usually start to run better (laughs) start to move a little better yeah oh yeah uh so i think it took you um a little over a hundred hours to finish that race. Is that right? Yeah. And, uh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. A hundred hours ish, 102, I think. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so just in terms of like the mechanics of the race, I mean, what was it like doing that race in the pandemic for you in terms of comparing it to previous races? I mean, anything different, anything unexpected or harder, easier, um oh yeah i mean there's there's a lot uh pandemic wise um not really i mean once i once i saw my crew and bruce's crew i knew this was going to be my contagion bubble and we were just all going to be you know together no mass you know that was we just all sucked it in said let's do it um, out and about, sure, you know, you got to be careful of other people at aid stations and stuff. But uh, um, in general, the there it really didn't affect, I think, the logistics so much. But the logistics are pretty major. It's a big course and it's a lot of driving. Yeah. So um, really, Michael would be the one to talk about this more because I had to just set everything up in terms of you know, I want aid here. I don't necessarily need it here. I want it here. These two people can do this. These two people can do this. But, the, you know, I can plan all that. But then it's like Michael that has to deal with all of that. So yeah. so uh, the logistics were fine. Um, but I, w- I would definitely say I had a harder time finishing it than I did Tahoe 200. Mm. 
Um, it felt like a harder race and I was expecting it to be. I was, I did Tahoe first. Then my idea was to do Moab second, which I just did, and then try her last one, the um, Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was surprised. I got, um, you know, I've had stomach issues off and on the last few years. It seems like I'm making a turn right now. I just changed nutrition. But, um, but I've had issues with that, and a lot of people had issues that first day. It was hot, but it wasn't that hot. It really wasn't. Um, I just couldn't keep anything down and, um, I, my head got in it a bit. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it that kind of stuff, which I usually don't do, but I was like, I I just don't know if this is all going to come together and I'm not going to drop. So how am I going to make this happen? Right. Um, so that first day, it was the first day and it was really hard. So, um, I took a couple little puke naps and then <laughs> took a longer nap, um, at this one aid station at about mile, I don't know, 35. And then I just, after the sun went down, I cruised and it was a beautiful, it was a great night. So overcoming that was a wonderful thing. I still had, you know, stomach issues throughout, but nothing, you know, like my coach, Avery Collins was with me and, and I would just like stop and I'd just puke and I'd just keep running. He's like, he was like puking every like hour and he was in a great mood. So I guess I was okay. <laughs> what was it like from your standpoint, Michael? I think one of the things that uh, I, I crewed him last year at Tahoe and also this year. And one of the subtle differences between the two races, is the pandemic and, and one of the, uh, and when you out there for, four days, uh, sleep is going to be very important to be able to get rest to, to re, to re, re reset yourself. Uh, so the sleep station was taken away from the course this year. And the, the flip side of that is Brian managed, managed to got himself a sprinter van in, in this particular tra- uh, race. So that made crewing him, uh, extremely easy because we were able to roll up and, um, basically tailgate crew him by right out of the tailgate um, and and having a sleep quarters that he can get rest and having not have to you know fumble with tents and and deal with the elements and so imagine if you were solo running and show up at mile 180 and three o'clock in the morning you still have to go pitch a tent to try to get some rest uh, as opposed to we have a, a van and I have everything cooked heat ready for him. He just roll up, put him to bed or feed him, whatever his preference happens to be. That makes a huge logistical difference uh, as far as supporting him. Uh, it is a long race. So as a, as crewing goes, uh, I, I pretty much slept as much as he did for the first three days, just kind of keeping, keeping, in tra- keeping an eye on where he is along the course and how much, I, how much time I got left before I have to go chase him at the next stop and, and all of that uh, logistics, but uh, and then I crew him the last, uh, and I pace him the last forty miles. So that was a uh, that was a lot of fun. I I I didn't sleep last night, so I I actually was tripping and hallucinating with him uh, <laughs> along the way. I was seeing stuff on the trail, which was which was pretty awesome. So yeah. it wasn't my first time hallucinating. So it, it uh, it's always I, I actually told him I go, hey, I'm seeing stuff on the ground. So I need to pull out that that caffeine um, espresso shot out of my pack and. I took that 20 minutes later. I'm, I'm good to go. But, you're good. You know, <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice when you're like pairing up the hallucinating together. <laughs> Did you yeah. see that? Did you see that? <laughs> so, so Brian, I got a question about, it seems like it's uh 
these races are a balance of, of logistics and a battle of the mind, right? So these two things going on and you're, you're in this battle with this present being present and being aware and this pain. And, but also you have, it's, you have to be thinking about, do you totally release to Michael the food, the planning, the logistics, or you, who's in charge of that? I guess is the question. Some runners, they're still want to be in charge and others are like, just, I'm going to get there and you tell me what I need to do. It's definitely a little bit of both. I really give up as much as possible um, unless something is particular that, you know, I don't need or I do need, you know, other than that, whatever's on the sheet or whatever they're thinking, I'm just working with what they think. And I try to get out of my mind and not use my brain as much as possible on these events. Um, you know, just don't ask me to do any math out there or anything like that. So it's uh, definitely, um, definitely easy to just give it over, I'd say. That's excellent. Uh, one of the things I'm interested in, and this is something I've experienced, you know, I've only done one 100 mile race, um, but it, it was definitely a big effect that I noticed, which was, and, and maybe other people can, can um, identify with this is, is after you've had that huge lead up training, tapering, doing the race, finishing it, and then going back to your, your life. Um, I can only imagine the effect is amplified with a, a race of this duration and you're so focused for the over hundred hours. Everything is just about putting the feet in front of each other. What is it like for you personally coming off of something like that? How long does it take you to readjust? What are your, what's your mental state going through the next few weeks after a big event like that? That's a great question. Cause it does take me like, um, it takes me. I think like three weeks or so to kind of, it's almost like culture shock, even though it's only like four days. Um, it's pretty hardcore party, you know, it's a pretty hard party and you're doing epic shit and it's just gorgeous. And your spirit is being flushed out and you're seeing new things and you're taking the new highs and then you go back to the election, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> culturally, it's very difficult. I don't talk that, but it's very, very difficult to come off of these extreme highs. I mean, they're so high and then kind of come back into normal. And you just have to, I, I think for me, as I just put everything kind of, I, I don't judge anything when I come back. I just am like, I'm just here, you know, because if I start picking apart, you know, what's because our brains are functioning on this different level. And I think we start like seeing things and we start uh, kind of sensing intentions and stuff. And you're like, I don't know, you know, and then you start to chill and you're just like, OK, humanity, society, it's all good. We'll be OK. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely felt like kind of that touch of depression kind of type of thing. I think when I, you know, when I finished up my longest race to date and um, yeah, cause I mean, you got to take time off because you have to recover. And so therefore you're not getting that kind of fix of getting out on the trails every day, maybe. And, and that's hard to deal with. I think for a lot of people in these things. I, I did. Yeah. For me too, that, that recovery time, but I had a nice, good, long recovery, a coached recovery this time. And it was so good. I recovered so much better. I did my first two, um, 
because these are my days off. I did a back-to-back 16 milers out in my favorite area. And it was just so nice to once again, get out there and just get the legs going out a little bit. Just feels so good. It, it is though, it is hard. It is hard to come back and not be as active. Yeah. Not, yeah. not to, Did you have something to add, Michael? Not to not to say uh, not to say that that actually is a requirement, but he had what ten hours of sleep while we we're driving out to uh, to Moab, because he was sleeping in a van while I was driving, and then on our way back, he was in the compression boots the whole way back for about good part of it so yeah. that that really helped you should you should ask him how long did it take before he actually went sign up for the, another race uh, i think that's that's a that's a good point i think about. it was only it was three weeks wasn't it <laughs> that's a pretty good interval i was gonna say like under 24 hours <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i signed up for uh coca dona the 250 miler that aravapa or whatever you however you say their name are putting on yeah yep uh, Mike, do you want to comment on that? <laughs> oh, he's like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're I, I, I mentioned to him that Bruce uh, had signed up for the Cocodona 250, and it took him less than two hours to send me back a text and say, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're going, so we're going back out to, uh, to, to uh, Black Canyon in, uh, in uh, May. Greg, Greg will be out there. I signed up as well. Wait, you t- you didn't tell me before just now that you signed up for that. Oh well. Oh, come on now. <laughs> I'm coming. I am coming. Yes, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, well, when did you do that? Now <laughs> you can't be keeping secrets from us. What? <laughs> wow, it sounds like a party in the desert. <laughs> it sounds like another party. Oh man, it I'm excited. Wait. I'm excited just to go down and crew or pace or, or whatever. I mean, I think that's going to be fantastic. Mm. Wow. Excellent. Well, all right. So I guess we got our, uh, our work cut out for us over the winter here. <laughs> yeah, see, once again, now you have something to plan for, something to put in, some work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Having that focus. Uh, and that sort of ties in a little bit. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times that you're coached. Your coach is Avery Collins. Um, I know of him. I think I saw a movie where he did the Ure 100 miler maybe a few years ago in mm-hmm. Colorado. It was this incredibly hilly, ridiculous elevation uh, race in Colorado. And they had, you know, there was like a short film about him doing that race. And I, I think that's the first time I heard about him. Um, so, yeah, can you tell us, you know, about your relationship with him, how you found him, his philosophy yeah. and, and all that? Yeah, I was really interested in him and in how he approaches the sport. He's really kind of um, well, actually, you know, his his uh partner, Sabrina Stanley, he was also at Moab. They both helped crew and pace at Moab. But uh what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, she's so concerned because he loves to um backcountry ski. And uh, so he's, I like him because he is a total athlete, even though maybe Sabrina doesn't like that. He's definitely into the, um, the exploration part, but yeah, he's got some races to do. He has to take all that stuff seriously, but, um, but I was attracted to his looseness. 
Excellent. Yeah. I mean, so when it is a situation like that, does he still provide you with plans or how, how does that work? You know, if, if, if he has kind of a, a looser approach to it, but you still need to, to you know, work oh, with him. Oh yeah. No, he's not loose about coaching. Okay. <laughs> it, it's his, yeah, no, he's hardcore. He's kind of a, uh, I won't say it. No. Okay. <laughs> no, he, he, he keeps me on my toes. Um, uh, I just mean his approach to running um, and in his approach to sports, he was a basketball player um, then just wasn't growing as tall. And uh, then he got into running. And so it's just the way. Um, and I think a lot of elites in our sport, I mean, God bless them for how hard they work just how sweet they are and, and open they are about how they do things. And um, so I was just attracted to how he approached the sport. He keeps me um, super busy. Uh, the other thing is my goal race is the Tour de Gens. And, um, and so he's done that. I was actually gonna crew him this last year in Italy, but uh, that of course got canceled. So we'll see about this year. Um, but yeah, he he keeps my schedule very very full. Uh, yoga, uh, cross, uh, functional strength, and just tons of different types of runs. That sounds like a really good uh, good plan. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and it sounds like I mean you really sort of created a friendship there too. I mean, if you're you're crewing each other and and all of that, so that's got to be really really helpful. Yeah, we liked we we messaged each other a bit before. I didn't even know he was coaching, and then I said, you know, I'm thinking about getting a coach. He's like, hey, I coach. Uh-huh. Like, Let's do it. So <laughs> it's kind of a but but no, but we have a business relationship, and then we have friendship too. Yeah, nice. And did you say how long you've been? Um... Just a year. Okay. Uh, I've known him. I don't know, like a year and a half. Okay. But this one year has made such a big difference. It really has in terms of just my balance, um, my flexibility, uh, my core strength, uh, just how I run, my form, um, all the different speeds I can run in now, um, just all the slow running I do. Uh, and just, you know, having that, you know, he really taught me how to have late speed, you know, after 30 miles, start, start your race, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. So he really pushes that hold back and then have it for later. So sometimes day two is faster for me than day one, or, you know, I, he's noticed that he's like, you like to flip your splits. So. Definitely a good plan as a um, an admitted going out of the gate too fast person here. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> well, we all like to. Yeah, it never it never works out the way you think. I feel so great, and then you know, ten miles later, oops, <laughs> what, yeah. what happened? Yeah. Um, his now, I think you mentioned a little earlier that you had done some um, some dietary changes. Was is that right? Oh yeah. Um, my nutrition, I've worked a lot with different types of nutrition. I've made my own food. I do all types of stuff. I'm just, um, right now I've only gone, I've I've just gone 16 milers is the longest I've gone with, um, infinite, which is a powder based, uh, uh, it's a drink. So it's just a high calorie. Um, you can adjust, it's a custom mix. So you adjust your mix, how you like it. And so mine's higher calorie, um, and, uh, just has some of the stuff I want in it. It does have sugar though. So, 
Mm -hmm. So I'm still giving it a try. So far, it's great because usually around mile 13, I don't have that that um, solar plexus strength and starting to kind of break down. It's like maybe I just ate, so I'm not as strong in my core. So I'm, I just feel really strong right now in, for, from these few runs. So we'll see. Mm, cool. That'll extend it. Having a drink mix that's flexible is good because a lot of those drink mixes, they're one – the one ratio only or it's really weak or really strong. So it's yeah. nice to think about a drink mix that you can adjust because yeah, you can't adjust most of those. It's one combination or else it's way off. Right. Right. So you just make your own formula and I knew I wanted calories and that's what a lot of guys are, you know, a lot of people go to just liquid. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to mix it all up as usual, but I'm definitely working on the liquid right now. Mm, cool. One thing, um, I, I think we have a, quite a few audience questions tonight, so I'm excited about that. And um, just before we get to that, um, I do want to just mention that, um, you know, looking at your Facebook profile, you're affiliated with an organization called Depression to Extinction, I believe. Yes. And can you just kind of tell us what that organization is, what your relationship with them is, uh, their mission, and, and kind of how you made the connection there? Yeah, their mission right now is more having to do with uh, schools. So they're bringing in um, just kind of emotional awareness classes to public school systems. So that's what they're really their big campaign is. Other than that, if you go to depression to distinction with the number two dot dot org, um, you can learn more about uh, those classes and also it has references and ways to get into groups and stuff to t uh, support groups and whatnot to talk about issues you may have or stuff like that. So it's, um, it's a really good group. There's a lot of them out there. This is a guy down in um, Austin. So, but they're really good. And I ran a few races for them in 2019 and, you know, helped just get some money going. So, but they're a really good organization. It's geared towards helping school students, like child students, like students in school? Yes, uh, public school from elementary to high school, starting uh, just emotional development programs and, uh, you know, uh, uh, strategies with dealing with stress, stuff like that. Mm, nice. It's really when you come down to it, like my, you know, whether it's mental illness or not, I had an unskilled response to stress and trauma right i mean that's kind of what alcoholism is or you know so in that sense uh, getting those tools is so important like my kids are so great and i'm like how are they so like advanced spiritually and then i think well they've been getting it ever since they were young you know a lot of kids don't learn about that stuff about how to deal with emotions and such that's excellent. I think um, I'm, I'm for sure going to add that link to the show notes for the podcast episode, and I'll be happy. I know we'll all be happy to post the link to them on, on our actual Facebook page as well, so people can find them. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Jessica, I think you've got quite a number of questions lined up, and I definitely want to give a lot of uh, attention to those tonight. So uh, what do we have? They're kind of all over the place, so bear with me. But one of the first ones um, was from Troy. He's on our um, Zoom call right now. And he was wondering specifically about your stomach problems during Moab. Is that a chronic condition or was that just a one of those happened to be on race day things? 
Um, it's a little bit of, but it was kind of, it's been, I would say chronic in certain temperatures. Yes, it's chronic. So um, if I'm in an exposed area and the temperature's high, I start, I really stop and I'm just not able to digest calories. Okay. And is that why you are, have been, um, Oh, experimenting. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely the infinite so far. It feels great, but we'll see. I'll give detailed reports soon. Awesome. And we also have another question about what other kinds of body training, like gym, weights, yoga, do you do for your regimen and how long? Okay. Yoga, I do at least an hour. So I do like two half hour Adrian sessions a week. Um, and then I do a little bit of morning yoga. I have my own routine. I do it's like 15 minutes, uh, strength. I usually do a little bit of core. Uh, I've got a few different core exercises I do for just 10 minutes every day. And then I do total functional strength and an hour to an hour and a half a week. And that entails no weights. I mean, you can use weights for some of it. So it's all functional to, um, to running pretty much. So, you know, your squats, your, your, uh, hip, hip extenders, all that kind of stuff. So if anybody ever wants to, I can always write out everything for them that I do. Well, I was just about to say, if you did provide that to us, we would also be happy to put that up on our web page. make a note. All right. Brian's <laughs> favorite functional strength. I think that would be absolutely fantastic if you I, could do that. I think we all have our favorites, so it'll just be mine. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's a great place for people to kind of see what works for them and add things oh, to it. And, yeah. you know, especially I mean, as we're going into this time of year, like this is a perfect time for everyone to sort of be thinking about building that base for next year. Pocadona, obviously. Uh <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but I take it pretty seriously, definitely. And then I bike on days when, um, you know, I just need a rest from the legs and such. So I usually run, uh, I don't know, like five to seven days a week, just depends. Um, I have another question from Steven, who's on Zoom too. He is asking, how much time did you take off after Moab before you started running 40 miles a week regularly again? Mm, yeah, I could look back. Um, I would say 40 miles. Let's see. Right now I'm at 50, 60. I would say four weeks this time. I mean, you don't need that much. I mean, people, you know, of course they they'll do the triple crown of 200. So they're doing them um, every month. Uh, but this time I really had the ability. So my coach really had me lay off. So I'd say it was about three to four weeks. I was doing 40 miles a week. So I just started really getting mileage in now. Awesome. Thank you. I know that's so everyone does recovery a little bit different. So it's nice to sometimes people go, yeah, I'm back out in a couple of days and that works. And Sometimes it's four weeks and that works too. So that's really nice. There's to all types of reasons why yeah. you should take the time off. But once again, you know, it does, a lot of people can do fine. So I'm not going to yeah. argue with that. Totally. And then another question is, did Brian work on losing body weight before the race? If so, how many pounds and how much weight after, did you lose after the race? If any, do you know that? Well, just the normal training, um, I gained 
uh, well, you know, I always lose a bunch of weight and then I try to gain it during the taper, especially for a long race like that. I, I really, I, I get down to the, my medical ideal weight, which is like 150 though. I prefer to be at 155. Um, just physically, I feel better. Um, my doctor said, Hey, it's probably a good idea. If you ever need surgery or something like that, the extra five will help you out. But, um, so then I will, uh, gain, I'll go down to 150 during training. I'll gain that five back and then I'll lose almost 10. So I'll go down to like 145 and then slowly build up. Awesome. And then the next question is for Michael. And this is just a selfish question because I crew a lot. So how accessible were the crew, um, stations for Moab 240? Actually, very accessible. Uh, in fact, we were able to drive his uh, van or his sprinter van to most of the location. Although there are, uh, there was a couple of spots that we didn't. So he, I think we we see him every on average thirty miles, uh, especially when he has pacers. Uh, and first stop was 60, 70 miles in uh, around there. So uh, and then. But in, in general, it's generally about 30 miles, and it's very, very crude accessible. Uh, but having, like, he has a bag that actually, uh, a duffel bag that has all his sleep um, station in case that we missed him for whatever reason. Uh, but we try to fetch for him every time we get into the aid station so that he have everything all laid out uh, for him. But uh, and, and he's an excellent runner to, to take care of. He, he's just kind of hands off and just tells you, I don't feel like eating right now. I want to sleep. So you... You, you switch things around when he wakes up and, and eat. I think the hardest part was for him is, or, and, and also as a crew, is to seeing him that towards the third or fourth day, his food consumption slowed down a lot. And, and so be able to go to a liquid fueling would actually be helpful because you're going to be drinking anyways. So if you can actually yeah. take in calories yeah. and as part of that process, it'll definitely help him. Yeah. Was, there a, was there a way... Uh, do you have a strategy as far as like where you would park? Do you park at the end of the lot or how was it? Did you work out so he knew where you were or you, you were out there looking for him or you have a spot tracker so you knew he was coming in or how'd you figure out where to find him and how to set that up so he was easy? Good question. Um, spot tracker is useful, although as crew, because we don't actually have cell signal in some of the location. So spot tracker is useless because we can't hmm. see where he's when he's coming in. So we we have to kind of give give a, a a ballpark. Okay, well we we know he's coming coming in approximately this time, and then just kind of be ahead of him. Uh, one of the tricks that I use with him is that I tag a a, um, a strobe light on him. That is a blue strobe light. So when he's coming in through the dark, I don't have to look for him. I can just look for the blue strobe light. I supposed to look at every headlamp and see whether that's him or not. And vice versa, I tag one on myself um, so that, like, so for example, at one of the the location where he's coming through, I park my park the van literally across from the A station, but instead of having him to look for me, I put a strobe light on uh, on a branch on the inbound, so he will know that I was there actually there uh, ahead of time. Um, same thing on one of the one of the out and back where he coming into an A station, he have to go into the A station first. I park the van on the location where he's coming in and put the blue strobe light on the back of the van so that he can actually see very clearly coming in. So that's kind of take 
take focus that that your crew is already waiting for you. So little tricks like that helps. That is such a good tip. Sorry. And it's disco-y. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. I mean, you are crew to every runner. So good tip. (laughs) And then um, Brian, um, earlier in our talk, you talked about goal setting. And after you do such a big push, how do you make, because maybe your next goal might not be so big, or maybe it really is. So how do you, um, how do you make the next goal after such a big one? Well, I'm, I'm lucky this time because this next one's even bigger, (laughs) (laughs) but no, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a, if it was a 50 K or, um, or a a hundred miler or a thousand miler, they're all the same. They all require my attention and, um, and tell you the truth, they require my love, you know, and that's why I like doing it so much. So it doesn't matter what the distance is. As long as I have the goal, I, I, I pursue it as such and try to have respect for it. That's a great mindset. And then one last question squeaked in from Troy. He wants to know what shoes you ran in for Moab. Ultra Temp 2.0, very large. <laughs> very large. Oh, like a full size up. Nice. And then your feet still swelled in those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a picture of that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, the feet, there are some glorious ones, but not of the swollen feet. The Only the good looking feet. <laughs> Thank you so much. I have a question, Brian. We didn't touch about it, but uh, music has been a big part of your life. Yes. And so we have not we have not talked about it, but uh, I also love music and I've loved my whole life. I played instruments my whole life. And so maybe touch quickly. What do you play? And you're in a band or what's the story there? Yeah, there's um, I've been playing most of my life. I was uh, primarily a guitar player, um, started on piano. So I used to write still. And I occasionally will go, I'll use the keyboard to write a part. But usually it's I'll write on guitar um, now. And then uh, I play bass and I went over to bass like 10 years ago. I just wanted to get off the center and I wanted to groove. I wanted to be... Uh, thicker you know <laughs> so I went for big bottom and I uh, went into bass and I just love it but uh yeah I've been playing since I was a kid and lots of different bands um some little touring gigs where we went from I lived in Portland at the time but we go up to Seattle and down to San Francisco um and then uh other than that yeah just little bands here and there right now I'm in a band called eight ways to Wednesday we put out an album and then um did a year of shows and then COVID hit. So we'll see where, where that ends up. I'm going to go on YouTube tonight and try to find you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely go on YouTube and look up eight ways to Wednesday. There's two of my songs are on that, on that album. All right. Sounds like more yeah, fodder for our Facebook page. <laughs> I know Jessica's yeah. already going to be posting that tonight. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. 
so I think we uh, we got through all of the audience questions, and I think those were that was great. Those were all over, like you said, all over the place, but really good topics uh, that you know got some additional information out to everybody. So appreciate you, uh, Michael and, and Brian, talking about those things. Um, one final thing I just want to ask is, you know, what is like one piece of advice you might give to a, a runner that's uh, just kind of in this time frame we're in right now and just not sure where they're going or what they're doing and, and sort of like how to move them forward. Is there anything you could, you could talk to about that? I would say it's a struggle, but cultivate gratitude. Um, it's a struggle to do it, but you got to do it. You know, we have to cultivate our gratitude. And from there, I think if we, if we start with gratitude and we start with love, then the healing is it will come and and you will you will get out there and set a goal again um but uh it's just really hard for folks right now you know and i like to say well we live in this rich country and blah blah blah, blah and even the poorest have so much more than most in the world but no it's just really hard for people really hard so um i'd say for those runners definitely um Get, gra- get grateful and remember that, uh, like Rich Roll says, uh, motivation comes after movement. <laughs> we, motivation is, you know, highly touted, but it's really not what it is. You just have to get out the door and then you'll find the motivation. Well, I can definitely say from personal experience, I have heard that from Mr. Mike Turner multiple times in my life. And it's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely the case. It's that hardest first step is getting out the door. So that's, that, that's great to hear that from you as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've come to the end of our 20th episode of the mile 99 interview. Um, I got a lot out of this. I really did. I really appreciate you, Brian, for being so honest, so open. Um, like I said, I think this kind of thing is just so helpful for people, especially now, uh, just talking about stories, you know, it, it's, it's real life, you know, and it, it's, it's great to just share that. So thank you so much. Um, thank you, Michael, for, for talking about your experience with Brian as well. Uh, we wish you guys both the best and we're definitely going to be looking forward to meeting up at Cocodona next year. I'm, I'm sure of that. Uh, so all of our audience, uh, you know, we hope you're really enjoying everything that we're doing here. Um, We've had the podcast published out there since I think July now. Uh, We'd really appreciate if you uh, are enjoying what you're hearing to go over to your favorite uh, podcast source and give us a review. Uh, If you like, you know, give us some feedback, you know, improvements, anything we can do to to make this even a better experience. Uh, We also have our Facebook page. So go over there and you can find out all the upcoming episodes, follow us, like us there. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, the mile 99 interview, and we post a lot of things there. We just started posting gear reviews, courtesy of our co-host Mike here, and uh, hopefully people will be enjoying those as well. Um, we also want to just talk a little bit about some of the things that are going to be coming up. We're going to continue, obviously, with our normal interview schedule, and so be looking for those announcements. Uh, but if you haven't seen on our podcast um, uh, feed, we are starting a new sort of mini series within our normal podcast episodes. And this is called Rebecca Redlines Cancer. Uh, Rebecca is a woman that we've met. Uh, She lives in New Hampshire. She's an ultra distance hiker who was attempting to uh, pull off an incredibly um, ambitious hiking uh, project this year. 
but unfortunately she was sidelined by breast cancer temporarily uh, in August. Uh, she's currently in treatment for that. And we are gonna start doing a series of podcast episodes. They won't be live interviews right away. Uh, we're gonna initially start with podcast episodes and we'll be releasing those um, over the coming months uh, and talking to her, finding out what her motivation has been, what the recovery process for cancer has been and really kind of trying to get a lot of good information out there, things that she's learned that she feels really strongly that people need to hear about. Uh, so I hope everyone will be excited about that. We certainly are. Um, we're recording our first episode with her tomorrow night. And the plan is to release that on Sunday afternoon uh, this weekend. So stay tuned for that. And also stay tuned for other future guests that we will have live. And we will look forward to seeing you all again soon. Thanks, everybody. Take care and we'll see you on the trails. Bye-bye.